This episode of the Queen's Memory Podcast has been produced in English. If you'd like to listen in Korean, you can find that version in our podcast feed. 이 에피소드는 영어로 제작되었습니다. 한국어로 듣고 싶으시면 저희 팟캐스트 피드에 한국어 버전도 있습니다. You're listening to Season 3 of the Queen's Memory Podcast. My name is Jie Fei Yuan, and I'm the Queen's Memory Curator. In this season, our major minor voices, we feature stories from our neighbors of Asian descent in Queens, New York. Too often, these voices are deemed minor, as in of a minority. But in our borough, these voices are a major force. One in four borough residents identifies as Asian American. The stories they tell reflect their ongoing struggles and triumphs. There are our stories, a vital part of who we are, and together they represent a snapshot of our ever-changing neighborhoods as they are now. My name is Indrani Chodhi. I'm Jody. Stella Koh. I'm Melody Tao. This is Heidi Shen in Flushing, Queens. And this is where my story begins. The 1970s, 80s, and 90s saw a wave of Korean immigrants coming to the U.S., many finding their way to Queens. The Korean-American population in the U.S. skyrocketed, reaching 1.2 million people by the year 2000. Flushing, Queens was a little Koreatown back then, where Korean families lived and worked. In this episode, we explore the theme of memory through the story of two sisters, Sujin and Eugenia who rode this wave of immigration from Korea to Queens in the 1980s. They land in their haimanis, that is their grandmother's kitchen. Producer Heidi Shin brings us this story. Eugenia remembers the day she left Korea. That was my first time getting on an airplane. My mom's like, look, we're, we're in the sky. We were above the clouds. As a kid, Eugenia had been told that God lived up in the sky. So naturally, she asked her mom where he was. <laughs> and she said, oh, she's, he's higher up. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. That's how their family's journey to New York began. It was 1985. Eugenia was seven years old. Her sister, Sujin, was four when they moved to Flushing, Queens. Remember when suitcases didn't have wheels back in the 80s? Picture the five of them heaving their belongings through JFK Airport, where they met their aunt and uncle at the gate. Together, they headed to their grandmother's apartment in Queens, where they're going to live. The front door of the building still sounds the same today. Every time you open it, it creaks. So it's like creak, and then it slams behind you. The five of us with all this luggage, and it was obvious that we were kind of moving in um, and going to be here for a while. It was Eugenia, Sujin, their brother, mom and dad. Their suitcases were stuffed with clothes, Korean snacks, their dad's calligraphy brushes, and a blush pink hanbok, a traditional Korean silk dress that their mother would wear 20 years later on Eugenia's wedding day. As they made their way across the lobby, the building super spotted them. And the super caught us, saw us, and he said, you can't be here, something like that. It was a rent-controlled apartment where their grandmother lived, and the rules said no one else was supposed to move in. And my grandmother um, tried to talk to him. Uh, he made a fuss and she made a fuss. And somehow um, she got in touch with the management company. Or he might in the end, their grandmother worked it out for them to stay. Mm-hmm. 
the kids would jump from the bunk bed, narrowly avoiding the popcorn ceiling, and land on the wooden parquet floors that their grandmother, their haimani, had just mopped. She made each of their favorite foods, picked out the marshmallows in the Too Sweet American Breakfast cereals by hand. She made kimchi and pounded the meat for Korean barbecue in their tiny galley kitchen. Probably because, you know, in, in Korea there wasn't a lot of meat. But then we came to America, and then there's this abundance of meat. So, of course, my grandmother wanted to spoil us. Cooking was her love language. And you could tell from the green plants lining the radiator, she could also make things grow, even in an apartment without much light. Eugenia and Sujin went everywhere together as kids. Eugenia on her purple BMX bike, Sujin on her banana seat with a floral basket. Their father used to send them to buy Korean newspapers at the corner store. So it would be like a Saturday morning, probably. Nope. My parents were usually working Saturday morning, so it would probably be Sunday morning. They plunked two coins down on the counter and didn't say much to the Korean man who worked there. Then they'd stop at the candy shop on the way home, where they bought cough drops and ate them like candy. Um, it was cherry or licorice, and licorice was gross, so... They remember the pharmacy, hair salons, corner stores, all Korean-owned. The shop selling phone cards, the purses on display. On Sundays, they'd go to a Korean church where their dad was the choir director and their mom the pianist. The girls would climb around under the pews. Yeah, hide-and-seek in the sanctuary is great because there are all those pews, right? And so we would play hide-and-go-seek. Um, there would be like a big flight of stairs um, with banisters. We would slide down the banisters. It's kind of, again, roam the church. After church, they often went out for jajangmyeon, Korean black bean noodles, though the girls would rather have had Burger King, where there was an indoor playground. But their mom had read in a Korean newspaper that the kids from the gangs would hang out there, so they weren't allowed. Back in Korea, dad was a history teacher and mom had trained to be a classical pianist. In Queens, she found a job working the overnight shift in a factory. And the dad found work at a hardware store. They saved up enough money through a lending circle called Ke, a revolving credit system. And eventually, they opened up their own small business, a hair and wig shop. Here's Eugenia again. Sometimes they would kind of like plant me in front of the store and kind of draw customers in. She was supposed to watch for pickpocketers too. And as an eight or nine year old, I don't know what I would like, what they expected from me um, if I did see somebody. After the wig shop, they started a small deli grocery in Sunnyside, Queens. Sujin used to play in the back room while her mom worked the register and her dad stocked the aisles. And there's this one day at the store that Sujin can't forget. Being in the back, room and hearing a lot of like commotion in the store and hearing racial slurs sort of like being called out at my parents, you know, like go back to your country kind of stuff. Like, I don't know, F you chink or something like that. I mean, this guy was like spewing words, just like, I don't know. He just kept shouting and yelling all these words and my parents like trying to shout back at them. And so like them trying to defend themselves um, in broken English, they didn't have the words to make him feel as small as they did. Um, but I remember I was like, I'm staying in this room for as long as I can. She says it's something that never would have happened had they stayed in Korea. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they, yeah, yeah, for sure. They probably would never have 
been in a situation where they would own a bodega. <laughs> so it was the first time Sujin had heard her dad swear. He cursed at the man. It was after the man had turned away, and he was already walking out the store. What Sujin and Eugenia don't remember is when they stopped speaking Korean to each other and they started speaking English instead. What they do remember is their parents working all the time, changing churches when there were disagreements, trying out new small businesses. And they remember their grandmother being there for them, always. Eventually, Sujin and Eugenia's parents saved up and moved out to Long Island while their grandmother stayed behind in Queens. Like so many other Korean Americans, they bought their small businesses in Queens in the 1980s from immigrants who had come to the States before them. And later, they in turn sold their businesses to even more recent immigrants who came after them. Queens was where they found their footing for their American lives. In the 1990s, when Sujin and Eugenia's family were on the move again, they weren't alone. They were part of another wave of Korean migration from Flushing to Bayside and to the suburbs of Long Island. Other places were growing as hotspots for Korean Americans too, like New Jersey, Virginia, and Atlanta. Eventually, Sujin and Eugenia both headed to Boston for college, but their grandmother has stayed in Queens this entire time. Let's see how she's doing. Sujin and Eugenia's grandmother is 98 years old this year. She's lived in the very same apartment in Flushing, Queens for nearly 50 years. The sisters are on their way to see her. Okay, so we're like a block away from it. Today, the streets are much busier and the buildings are taller now in Queens. There's a Korean hair place and an insurance salesman, but many more signs in other languages too. There's herbal solutions, probably like a Chinese medicine. Across the street, there's a new mochi nut shop, along with bubble tea. Obviously, that was not here. <laughs> there was no such thing as mochi donuts. Sujin and Eugenia make their way to their grandmother's place, the same apartment they lived in as kids when they first came to the U.S. in 1985. Sujin lives in Boston now, and she's brought her husband and her two daughters, ages four and six. This apartment still feels like home to them. Pretty much, I feel like almost everybody's got a key. You know, everybody still comes back to mom. <laughs> they still go back to mom. All the aunts and uncles and grandkids, whenever they were between jobs or needed relationship advice or wanted to hear the family gossip. But in recent years, the tables have turned. Like, you know, her body is aching from making kimchi. So we've been begging her to stop making kimchi for like, many, many years. And when she stopped, we were kind of grateful that she did stop. Okay. Now they're busy making sure she doesn't climb any chairs or change any light bulbs. And they're the ones who bring her sweets instead. There's been a surge in attacks against Asian American elders on the streets of New York. Lots of families are worried. But for Sujin and Eugenia, it's almost a relief that their grandmother's mostly bedridden. Because it means she's safe at home. 
There's nowhere to go. She can't go anywhere. Instead, their grandmother is the one who was worried about whether Eugenia and Sujin are safe. Your hands are cold. Eugenia now works as a therapist in Manhattan. Since the spring of 2021, when six Asian-American women were shot and killed in Atlanta, lots of Asian-American women have been coming to Eugenia for help. And it hasn't been an easy time for Eugenia either. I'm more alert on the train platforms. I'm alert more on the train cars. Um, I'm more alert as I'm walking down the street. And so that, because we remember, we know that it could happen and it still does happen everywhere. Um, Just recently I read an article that it happened in Manhattan. And And that's just really hard. It's another layer of trauma for many who grew up in immigrant homes. She says so many of us don't even realize what it was like not having parents who could fully be parents. So much of the immigrant experience is not talking about what you go through. You just get by. You just survive. You know, when my parents were working, you know, 12-hour days, if not 14-hour days, six days a week, unless you talk about it, you don't really, you don't really get a chance to think about it. And what makes trauma so traumatic is that it's not spoken. It's not talked about. It just kind of stays in your body. And so then it makes it very difficult to find words. It makes it very difficult to figure out what it is that is in our bodies, that is left in our bodies. What Sujin saw as a child in the back room of her parents' door, it stayed with her. She's now a mom with two girls of her own, ages four and six, just about the same age Sujin was when she first came to the States. And Sujin wants something different for her girls. I have this constant, like, fight against this quiet Asian woman stereotype. And to not be that way and to, like, be even more outspoken or more, like, strong-willed or teach my kids to not bend over backwards. Sujin wants her girls to know it's okay to get angry and to speak your mind. She buys them books about Asian-Americans who've done things to change the world. They watch movies with female leads who are strong, not afraid to say what they think. You know, a generation before us couldn't speak up for themselves, and now it's our turn, and I can do that, and I can teach my kids how to do that. Um, hopefully with a little bit more, like, respect and kindness. And she's made the deliberate decision to live in a neighborhood that's diverse because she believes that's what helps us to understand each other better. Eugenia recently moved back to Queens from Manhattan. Now she lives in Jackson Heights, and she wonders how many more times will she get to see her grandmother, who's 98 years old. She brings a recorder with her whenever she visits the apartment. Eugenia has been asking her grandmother about what her life was like in North Korea before she fled to the South, and what it was like those early days after immigrating to the States. It's a history she's hearing for the first time. (laughs) Their grandmother looks tired and the grandkids are getting antsy, so they pack their things to leave. Grandma hands each of Sujin's daughters an envelope of cash. The girls are too little to know how much is inside. They leave the apartment and pass the park across the street. It's where Sujin and Eugenia learned to ride their bikes and where they played for hours until their grandmother called them home for dinner. There's no grass here, 
but there's pavement. And one tremendous gnarled tree whose branches graze the tops of the buildings yeah, nearby. She needs it warm, but she's always cold. In the middle of the park, there's this, like, big, beautiful tree. It tree. provided the shade during the summer. We spent a lot of time on the swing, so we would pump, pump. Eugenia continues to visit their grandmother every month. It's been nearly 40 years since they came to the States and lived with their grandmother in Queens. It's easy to forget those earliest days. So there's a Korean prayer that Sujin sings with her own girls before each meal. It's a song she wants to remember. For the Queen's Memory Podcast, I'm Heidi Shin. Join us next time for more stories from our Queen's neighbors. The Queen's Memory Podcast is a production of the Queen's Memory Project. For full transcripts, show notes from this episode, and past seasons, visit queensmemory.org forward slash podcast. This episode was produced by Heidi Shin in conjunction with Melody Tao, Anna Williams, and Natalie Milbrook. Mixing and editing by Corey Choi with music composed by Elias Raven. Special thanks to H.J. Lee at Korean American Story, Joanne Yu at the Asian American Federation, Dr. Pyongkot Bin, Dr. Jay Kim, and Sujin and Eugenia for sharing their family story. Voiceover work by So Yeon Jun, Hoon Bing Go, and Hyunnae Lee. This podcast has been made possible in part by the National Endowment for the Humanities, Democracy Demands Wisdom. The views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this episode are those of its creators and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of National Endowment for the Humanities, Queen's Public Library, the City University of New York, or their employees. I'm Jie Fei Yuan. Listen with us next time on Queen's Memory.